We touched on communion several weeks ago, and there are two ordinances in Christ Church, communion and baptism. And it's been a bit since I've preached on baptism, and I'm compelled for several reasons to do that today. The title of today's message, a declaration and defense of credo baptism or believers baptism, a declaration and defense of credo baptism slash believers baptism. Credo means creed, creed, right? Our creed, our declaration, what we believe, a believers baptism that you come to Christ in faith and then you are baptized versus pedo baptism, child baptism, infant baptism, meaning you have an unbelieving child, an unbelieving infant being baptized. So what does the Word of God say? What is biblical baptism? That's what we want above all, right? What is biblical baptism? That's what we desire. And this has been debated for centuries, but there really is no debate, honestly speaking, when you just go to the Scriptures and let the Scriptures speak. Interestingly enough, this does tie all the way back into Genesis 12. Maybe we'll touch on that when we get to Genesis 12. No doubt we will. But a declaration in defense of credo baptism. Let's start with the black backdrop of the Roman Catholic Church. That black, black backdrop so that we might see the diamond of God's truth more brilliantly upon it. So what does the Roman Catholic Church say about baptism. What is their doctrine of baptism? In paragraph 1263, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says, quote, by baptism, all sins are forgiven. Original sin and all personal sins, as well as all punishment for sin. That is what we call heresy. And heresy is not error. Heresy is not dangerous error. Heresy is damning error. So there's error, there's dangerous error, and there's damning error, and heresy is damning error. Sometimes people overuse heresy and say, well, that's heresy, and it's not. Whatever that topic is they're talking about, it's not actually going to damn a soul. It's serious, it's problematic, but it's not going to send someone to hell. Sometimes they're reticent to use the term heresy, and that's probably more often the case these days, and and they'll say, well, I disagree, Or maybe that's not the best. Or maybe even that's error. But it is sin to call that which is heresy mere error. That is a sin that leads to the damnation of eternal souls. And so let us call heresy heresy. And this statement, the binding official Roman Catholic catechism that every priest, every pope, and every Catholic man and woman are bound to believe, says, by baptism, all sins are forgiven, original sin and personal sins, as well as all punishment for sin. And when they say baptism, we have to start there. Are they actually talking about baptism, biblically speaking? They are not. They are not. And so they've stolen the term from Scripture, and yet they haven't they haven't bound it by Scripture. Baptism in Scripture is always baptism, um, well, even the word. The Greek word is baptismo, right? What does it mean? Immerse, immerse. And so the very term, baptismo, means to immerse. And yet baptism in the Church of Rome is a priest sprinkling an infant with water. And so I have great disagreement, and so do you if you're a Bible believer right from the start. 
By baptism, we have to pause there and say, wait, by baptism, they don't actually mean baptism. They mean a priest sprinkling a baby with water. But they go on. By baptism, all sins are forgiven. So by a priest sprinkling an infant, an unbelieving infant, an unrepentant infant with water, all sins are forgiven. Now, it seems like, it seems like there's, <clears throat> there's a, a Bible verse that applies to that. <clears throat> Let me see if I can find it. Oh, there it is. Galatians 1, 6 through 10. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, Then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. A double anathema pronounced on anyone, 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 even an angel should one appear even a, an apostle, even if we, says the Apostle Paul, even if an apostle, even if an angel shows up and says, hey, this is another gospel, and by another gospel, another means of salvation. So, biblically speaking, the gospel is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ and his finished work alone, his tetelestai. Rome shows up and says, hey, good news. Baptism removes all sin." By baptism, all sins are forgiven. Of course, again, don't forget, when they say baptism, it's not even baptism. So by a priest sprinkling water on an infant, all sin is forgiven. What does Galatians 1, 6 through 10 say? It says anathema, anathema. It's a double damnation, a double curse of God. By baptism, all sins are forgiven. Original sin... In all personal sins, so original sin, the sin you inherited from Adam in your very nature, it's erased, it's gone, it's forgiven. And personal sin, the active sin you're going to commit. So an infant sprinkled by a priest with water removes original and personal sin as well as all punishment for sin. And so this is what is termed, what is called baptismal regeneration, and even beyond that, baptismal salvation. And so we have an unholy priest sprinkling unholy water. Let's just be honest, right? It's just water. An unholy priest sprinkling unholy water on an unholy baby because all babies are born with sin. They all have a sin nature. And Rome says, hey, that baby is saved. That baby is forgiven. Original sin, personal sin, all punishment for sin, all removed, all gone forever. That's heresy. Paragraph 1265 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, quote, baptism not only purifies from all sins, but makes the neophyte a new creature, an adopted son of God, who has become a partaker of the divine nature, member of Christ and a co-heir with him, a temple of the Holy Spirit. So one step further, you're not just forgiven, but you are a child of God indwelt with the Spirit of God, regenerated, full-fledged member of Christ's church, incorporated into the church. Paragraph 12, 
13 says, quote, Through baptism we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. Through baptism we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members of Christ and are incorporated into the church. Uh, despite the fact that there's no evidence of them being free from sin, despite the fact that they continue in many notorious sins. Now, that's not to say that all Roman Catholics, some are more sincere, some outwardly at least are more righteous, although all of our righteousnesses that are not truly the fruit of Christ within us, the Spirit of God within us, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And so, Roman Catholic baptism is a heretical baptism, an unholy priest sprinkling unholy water on an unholy baby and then pronouncing the baby forgiven of all sin, original, personal, uh, all punishment removed, a member of Christ's church, a partaker of the divine nature, indwelt with the Spirit of God, freed from sin, reborn, and a member of Christ incorporated into His church forever. That's Roman Catholic doctrine of baptism in a nutshell, and that's heresy. That's heresy. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said this, false gods attempts to represent the true God, and indeed all material things which are worshipped are so much filth upon the face of the earth, whether they are crosses, crucifixes, virgins, wafers, relics, or even the Pope himself. We are by far too mealy-mouthed about these infamous abominations. God abhors them, and so should we. To renounce the glory of spiritual worship for outward pomp and show is the height of folly and deserves to be treated as such. Charles Spurgeon spoke clearly about the Roman Catholic Church as a bastion of antichrist heresy. John MacArthur says this in short about the Church of Rome. In the long war on the truth... The most formidable, relentless, deceptive enemy has been Roman Catholicism. It is an apostate, corrupt, heretical, false Christianity. It is a front for the kingdom of Satan. And the first assault on the soul of mankind that Rome brings is in baptism, for they catch up every infant and sprinkle them with unholy hand and unholy water and pronounce them still unholy, but to be holy. It's a deception. It's a lie, and the parents go home comforted that their child is now redeemed, that their child is now born again, that their child is now cleansed of all sin and on the way to heaven. What a terrible lie. What does the Word of God say? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, 1 Peter 1, 18, it says, "...knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and spot. So not redeemed with corruptible things, not the things of this world, not silver, not gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. How are we redeemed? Water? Or blood? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's how. Revelation 5, 9. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You know that children's song? Or it's not a children's song. It's a hymn. Old hymn. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Simple gospel truth. Anything else is heresy. 
to say Jesus and water, heresy. To say Jesus and uh, indulgence from the Pope, heresy. To say Jesus and a priest absolving me when I go to confession, heresy. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Colossians 1, verse 13, He, Jesus, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. So God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Now, Rome says God did that through baptism. What's the Scripture say? In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin that we are redeemed through His blood, the forgiveness of sins through His blood. Rome gives you water. God gives you blood. Oh, but wait, Rome gives you blood too at Mass. Of course, it's the transubstantiated blood of Jesus Christ who's perpetually being re-crucified in a non-bloody manner. You do the math on that. And then you drink His blood for justification. So they have a false salvation a false redemption at baptism, and they have a false salvation, false redemption, and a false gospel at mass. It is a mass of heresy. Heresy upon heresy upon heresy. What does the Scripture say? 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, wait a minute. I thought the water did. I thought the priest sprinkling water on infants, unbelieving infants, infants that know no creed, who hold to no creed, except the creed of change my diaper, feed me, and do it now. And so, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 Corinthians 1.17, Catholic baptism versus not sent to baptize, but sent to preach. Hear this. This is the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 1.17. Christ did not send me to baptize. We could stop there. Sermon over. (laughs) Right? Rome says, baptism erases original sin, saves the soul, makes you a child of God. Paul says, inspired of the Spirit of God on the page of the Holy Scripture, Christ did not send me to baptize. End of sermon. Argument over. It's done. Let's, Let's go have lunch. We have more time for fellowship. Now there's more. We'll go a little further, a little deeper. But you must know that we come from a position of strength. What dictates truth? Papal decree? Uh, What dictates truth? Historic weight? What dictates truth? The Word of God. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone determines truth. Remember MacArthur's quote? In the long war on truth... The most formidable, relentless, deceptive enemy has been Roman Catholicism. It is an apostate, corrupt, heretical, false Christianity. It is a front for the kingdom of Satan. Praise God for that kind of clarity. We need it desperately. Christ did not send me to baptize, says Paul, inspired of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 1.17. Consider that. If baptismal regeneration were true, Paul would never, ever, 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 ever say Christ did not send me to baptize. You need to know that Rome has a collection of hands and arms from famous men, right? Famous priests 
who traversed the earth to baptize thousands and tens of thousands of men and women because they believe that hand regenerated tens of thousands of souls and saved them, erasing their original sin and making them children of God. So they've kept the decrepit hand that baptized, the unholy hand that sprinkled unholy water on unholy children and then lied to their parents and said they're now made holy. That's how committed they are to their heresy. But Paul says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Because salvation is for those who believe, believe the gospel. And Rome's baptism is in direct contradiction to the gospel. It is antithetical to the gospel. It is an enemy of the gospel. Rome's baptism is anti-Christ and anti-gospel. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross, the what the creed, credo baptism, the message, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The message of the cross, the simplicity of the gospel that John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. That's foolishness to Rome. Wait, 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 wait. You need a priest. You need water sprinkled on an infant and six other sacraments. A complex sacramental system of works righteousness in place of the just shall live by faith. Romans 1.17 So Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Titus 3, verse 5, Catholic baptism versus the Holy Spirit. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, not by sacrament, Not by sacerdotal righteousness, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How? Through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Not the washing through the hand of a priest, but the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Catholic baptism versus Holy Spirit baptism, being immersed in the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, of course. Catholic baptism versus grace and faith that is not of ourselves. By grace, you have been saved. You can actually stop right there. By grace, you have been saved. One of the principles, one of the pillars of the Reformation, sola gratia. By grace alone, grace alone. You have been saved. Now, it's never alone, but it is salvific, and thus it produces in you faith. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, you are saved. But Ephesians 2, verse 8, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So you didn't even provide the faith. Even your faith is a gift from God. And it's definitely not of works. 
It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. I remind you, when you ask a Roman Catholic if they are saved, if they are going to heaven now, right now, if they should die, the vast majority of them will say, I hope so, or I'm not sure. Why? Because they're in a works-based system. And they wouldn't want to boast and say that their works are good enough. I've done well enough. I know that I'm going because I've done well enough. They know enough to know they shouldn't boast. And so they say they're not sure. You can say with absolute confidence, if you are indeed a Christian today, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, you can say with absolute certitude, I will go to heaven. And you're not boasting. You're not boasting. Well, wait, you are. You're boasting Christ. You're boasting to tell us die. That's your boast. It is finished. That's your boast. Jesus Christ, resurrection of the third day. That's your boast. Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, is the one mediator between God and men. That is your boast. And so boast the true gospel. Boast the true Jesus. Boast His true redemptive finished work at the cross. Having obtained eternal redemption, He sat down. He ascended on high and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And so... That's Roman Catholic baptism versus the true, the true word of God and the true gospel of God. What's the believer's baptism command in Scripture? The believer's baptism command, you know it. You just may not know that you know it. Matthew 28, 18, that's the believer's baptism command. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Hit the pause button. Who is the Pope of Rome to defy the authority of Jesus Christ and contradict him? Who are these priests? These want to be priests, by the way, for there are no more priests, for Jesus Christ was the final high priest who offered up himself as the final sacrifice. The difference between a preacher or a pastor, me, and a priest is that I preach the word. I preach Jesus Christ and his gospel. We have a pulpit in the center with a Bible sat on it. A priest makes sacrifices. That's a priest. They have an altar in the center of the church, and they make sacrifice on it. Christ was the final high priest with the final sacrifice of himself, and he ascended on high after obtaining eternal redemption. So he who has all authority says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's a progression there. Make disciples, baptize them. Credo, baptism. Believers, baptism. You could say discipling uh, or disciple baptism. But you can't say pedo-baptism. You can't say it. You can't find it. It's not there. It's not there. So all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's our believer's baptism command. It is clear. Make disciples, baptize them. When they become disciples of Jesus, then you baptize them. No infant is a disciple of Jesus. You don't baptize infants. Believers' baptism confused. In Mark 16, 15, we have some confusion. Some folks mishandled the text. It says, And he said, Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes 
and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, the emphasis here is obviously on believing, and all through Scripture, the emphasis is on believing. The whole issue is whether you believe upon Jesus Christ, confess Him as Lord. That's the issue of salvation, Romans 10, 9. If anyone confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and believes in the heart, God has raised Him from the dead, they shall be saved. Is baptism mentioned? It is not. Again and again and again and again and again and again. The issue is always salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, not our works, His finished work, not the works of our hands or any priest hands, but the works of Jesus Christ's pierced hands. And so don't let anyone try to wrap you around. Oneness Pentecostals and others try to wrap you around Mark 16 and say, look, look, it's right here. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, I will say this. If you have believed upon Christ, if you confessed Him as your Lord, if you're born again from above, you will be baptized. If you refuse to be baptized, then there's no reason to believe that Christ is your Lord because you're not obeying Him. And so the close association with believing and baptizing equaling salvation here, right, is not because baptizing you saves you, But if you have believed, if you have confessed Christ as Lord, you will be baptized. You will obey Him. You will obey Him. It's not, well, that's just not convenient for me. I've always had a phobia of water. We'll have to get over that, right? For Christ our King. We want to identify with Him publicly, that we have died with Him and been resurrected with Him in newness of life. Charles Spurgeon said this, A man who knows that he is saved by believing in Christ does not, when he is baptized, lift his baptism into a saving ordinance. In fact, he is the very best protester against that mistake because he holds that he has no right to be baptized until he is saved. If you believe the gospel, you don't mix Jesus and baptism. You don't mix to die and baptism. You don't mix the blood of Christ and the water of the baptismal. One molecule of baptismal water mixed with the blood of Jesus will damn your soul. Galatians chapter 5, you have become estranged from Christ. You who have tend to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Just one little tiny fraction of law will damn your soul because you're not truly believing upon Christ. You don't truly believe to tell us die. It's to tell us die plus just this little, little, little tiny thing that I add. This one little tiny thing. It is Christ alone. More can be said about that, but I've got much more to say in a broader context. I've shared with you many times before, and I will continue to share with you the one verse, the go-to verse that slays every sacrament, that slays every concept of works righteousness. It's John 6.63. It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh Prophets, nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. For your Catholic friends, have them read it or you read it to them. John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The spirit regenerates. The spirit illuminates. The spirit gives the gifts of repentance and faith. It is the Spirit gives life. The flesh profits what? Nothing. And you need to stress that. You need to ask them and make them answer out of love. The flesh profits what? Nothing. Nothing. And so what does the flesh of the unholy priest with his unholy water sprinkling it on the flesh of an unholy baby, what does that profit us? Nothing. 
What about the rest of the sacraments? What do they profit us? Nothing. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. All of our works are filthy rags. It's the work of Jesus Christ we want. It's the work of the Holy Spirit we want, not our works. It is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as the Spirit of God empowers this salvation that God is the author and finisher of. And so John 6.63 gives us baptism clarity for the flesh prophets nothing. Regeneration is not of baptism, it is of the Spirit. And baptism is the picture. Water baptism is the picture of what the Holy Spirit has done. Water baptism doesn't like force the Spirit to now regenerate the child or the adult. Water baptism is merely the picture of what God, the Spirit, has done. Now think of this. The same thing happens with Rome in the Mass. Mass which is a mass of abominable heresy, the mass is a picture of what Christ did. Do this in remembrance of me. But Rome makes it to be the reality. They make it to be really Christ's flesh and blood. And you are literally eating Christ's flesh and drinking His blood for justification. They make remembrance, they make picture, they make an analogy to be reality and thus blaspheme the reality. The real baptism is that of the Spirit of God. The real regeneration is that of the Spirit of God, not through water sprinkling or immersion or any other application of water, steaming. I haven't tried that one. And so let us hold fast to John 63's powerful, simple, clarifying truth. It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh, prophets, nothing. So when we get baptized, we're celebrating what? The Spirit has done. We've been immersed in the Spirit, and thus we've been immersed in Christ. Born again from above, made a new creature. In 1 Peter 3.21, it says, There is also the antitype, which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it's not the flesh It's nothing going on in the flesh. It is the Spirit of God. It's what God is doing, not the flesh. Uh, Romans 10.9, we've already mentioned. Of course, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the heart what? One believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Who won't be put to shame? Whoever has been sprinkled by the hand of a priest. Now, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. It is salvation by faith alone. Matthew twenty-seven forty-four. We get believers' baptism clarity when we consider the thief on the cross. Matthew 27, 44, even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. And then Luke 23, so the, the thieves on either side are reviling Jesus. They're hating Jesus in Matthew 27, 44. But in Luke 23, 39, it says, then one of the criminals, so one of those who just moments ago was hating and reviling Jesus, one of the criminals who were hanged, blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, 
saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He was not baptized. He had no opportunity to be baptized. And yet he was regenerated. And he repented and he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus assured him that he would see him in paradise. There are those who are so committed to their baptismal regeneration. If you have not been baptized, you're damned. You cannot be regenerated without baptism is their teaching. Uh, and, And that's, again, heresy. And it's evident from the Lord Jesus' own lips that that is heresy. That is contrary to Christ's own declaration. How about believers' baptism in the early church? Look at the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 40 through 42. Acts 2, verse 40. Believers' baptism in the early church. And with many other words, he testified, exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. What do you call that? You call that credo baptism. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. It doesn't say, and then they gathered all the small children and infants from their mother's arms, and he sprinkled them all. And they were regenerated, and the whole village rejoiced. And you don't find that anywhere in Scripture, but you find it everywhere in Rome. And hear me, 1.23 billion people think they were regenerated Their original sin was removed, their personal sin was removed, and they became eternal members of Christ's church when a priest sprinkled water on them in their infancy. They believe a false gospel that damns them. And unless they repent of that false gospel and believe the true gospel, they will perish in their sins. Doctrine matters. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. They gave evidence that they were actually saved. They were actually regenerated. They didn't just show up like Christers, Christmas and Easter, right? Go visit the Catholic Church on an average Sunday. Go visit the Catholic Church. Now, don't actually go in and participate. But, I mean, watch the parking lot on Christmas and Easter. Oh, my goodness, right? Because the, the popes have declared these to be high holy days. And so if you miss those, it is a sin that could damn your soul, even though you've been regenerated and made a permanent member of Christ's church. Their doctrine has all sorts of conflicts, mind you. Um, but they're priesters, right? You have, to, you have to scare them into church lest they go to hell because they didn't at least attend on Easter and Christmas. Why are you here? I hope it's not because you're scared. If you don't show up on the Lord's day, you'll go to hell. Um, you're here because you love the Lord who saved you from hell by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You're here to worship Him, not earn another week's salvation. Christ earned all the salvation you're getting when He said, to tell us die, bowed His head, gave up His spirit. It is finished. It is through faith alone. But we do come to express our faith and to love the Lord who loved us while we were yet sinners and died for us. Amen. Catholics are going to church to earn another day's salvation, another week's salvation. How tragic. 
So those who had gladly received his word were baptized. That's believer's baptism. That's credo baptism. In Acts 8, verse 12, it says, When they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So twice over, we've got them gladly receiving the word. We've got them believing the things that were preached and then being baptized. That is credo baptism, believer's baptism all through the book of Acts. In Acts 8, verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. And he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now let's pause just for a moment to say this is an unlikely candidate for redemption. Um, he, he's not a Jew. Uh, he is uh, this, this eunuch, this servant of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, an unlikely candidate. He is saved by grace alone. And by the way, we're all unlikely candidates, all of us, all saved by grace alone. But the Lord is going to call him to himself. And the Lord sends, sends this preacher to him, Philip. Verse 28, he was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place where the scripture which he read was this. And he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth and his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Now think of this. He's reading Isaiah, a prophecy written 700 years before Jesus was born. And and he's not understanding it. Um, And the Lord sends a preacher, an evangelist, to help him understand the simple gospel from a 700-year-old prophecy and the Lord redeems him from Isaiah. He didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and letter to the Romans yet. He had Isaiah. May that elevate your faith. May that encourage you in the power of God's word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. The scripture, a simple explanation. So here we go. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth. And beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? If you checked out, check back in here. We're we're getting right on topic. We're going to drop the ordinance right here. What hinders me from being baptized? So first, a desire. What hinders me from being baptized? That should be what we're looking for. We want to see evidence of the Spirit of God within the man or woman, the young man or young woman, right? The desire, what hinders me? Look, it seems, like, it seems like I need to be baptized. Christ is my Lord. He's my King. He's my God. He's regenerated me. I was dead. I'm alive. I'm saved, I tell you. I need to be baptized. Okay, okay, easy, <laughs> right? That's what we're looking for. If we have to drag someone kicking and screaming to the baptismal water, shove them under in Jesus' name, that's not it. If we have to bring an infant with no knowledge, with no understanding, who is merely going to be put out and made to scream as a rule, right? Um, 
That's not baptism. There's a desire to be baptized by those who are born again from above, who confess Christ as their Lord and want to follow and obey Him. So what hinders me from being baptized? Philip answers, verse 37, If you believe with all your heart, you may. Hold fast there. We, we just dropped baptismal ordinance. It just went off. Nuclear baptismal blast. <laughs> if you believe with all your heart, you may. There it is. Again, signed, sealed, delivered. It's case closed. The word of God is spoken. There is no debate. I don't need your Pope's decrees. I don't need your catechismal arguments. I don't need your arguments from history. Case closed. If you believe with all your heart, you may. Credo baptism. Believers baptism. Well, mind you, back at Matthew 28, the case was closed, right? Go make disciples, then baptize them. Back at John 63, does the Spirit give life, the flesh profits nothing. The case was closed. It's just closed and closed and closed over and over and over again. So if you believe with all your heart, you may. That's the issue. Do you believe with all your heart? Do you believe the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ with all your heart? Then yes, you may. We're not looking for a, yeah, okay, I guess I should. Hmm. I guess, you know, it'd be pleasing to my parents. Well, yeah, I don't really want to go to hell. It seems like I should do that. Oh, wrong answer. Wrong answer. If you believe, believe what? Upon Christ and his gospel with all your heart, you may. We're not looking for a nod. We're looking for a bent knee and a confession of Christ as Lord. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Oh, yeah, uh, Rome, by baptism all sins are forgiven. Wait, they don't really mean baptism when they say baptism. If you believe with all your heart, you may. So they pulled the chariot over and they went down into the water and baptized him. That is baptism, immersion in the water. Do you want to be sprinkled with a little bit of you know, Jesus water sprinkled with a little bit of Holy Spirit or immersed in the Holy Spirit and then Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. You want to be immersed. That's the picture, immersion. You've been immersed into Christ, to the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been fully regenerated. You don't get a little dose of regeneration. Um, so we want to keep the picture that God has given us and that is immersion, which again in the Greek the actual word means to immerse. It doesn't mean to sprinkle. And so even that is not open to debate. The word of God is expressly clear. And so we have believers' baptism, credo-baptism, here in the book of Acts with Philip and the eunuch, Acts chapter 8. Uh, chapter 16. Chapter 16, we get into a little tussle with our... Pedo-Baptist friends in Acts chapter 16. So let's, uh, let's learn the judo flip, if you will, or the submission move that will have them tapping out theologically. Acts 16, verse 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So she 
believed the gospel. She had her heart opened by God to receive the things spoken by Paul. That's called regeneration and illumination. So the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, verse 15. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now, good men who are seriously errant or once were on the issue of baptism, R.C. Sproul was once in serious error. No longer, no longer. Do you know he's no longer a baptist I'm so excited about that. I can't wait to see R.C. again. I love him. One of the best debates ever, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul on baptism. Highly encourage you to go and listen to that. I think it's even in print. You can read it. Very edifying. R.C. argues from the silence of Scripture and history. MacArthur argues from the, the glaring, glorious truth of Scripture. And, yes, some history as well. But here we have the dyer of purple and her household being baptized. Does it say anything about infants? No. The dyer of purple. So she's a dyer of purple, and she's off doing some business. Um, that would kind of give you the idea, especially in that world, that her kids are probably a bit older. They're probably a bit older. She's not at home nursing little infants, right? But even if she does have little infants, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that even the infants, because even the whole household in context of the greater body of biblical truth would mean the household that could believe, the household that could understand and confess Christ as Lord, that portion thereof. Um, so the whole household that had come to faith, but very likely um, her household were uh, involved, constant, was constituted of older children who came to the faith. But there's certainly no argument for paedo-baptism, infant baptism here in Acts 16, except an argument from silence. You have to insert something that is not therein. Uh, in Acts 16.25, so this is just 10 verses later, Acts 16.25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed, and the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoner had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And they, he brought him out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, be baptized, of course. No. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Oh, how are the household saved? How is he saved? How is he and his household going to be saved? Believing Upon Jesus Christ. So if later it says that he and his household were baptized, then we assume we understand that he and his household believed. Believed. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were at his house, which gives you the idea that they can comprehend it. Verse 33. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Again, this is a go-to text for Pado-Baptist. Look, see, his whole family, just like that dire purple, her whole family. Yeah, his whole family, who all heard and all believed, were all baptized. Credo-Baptism. Thank you. <laughs> 
And so bad arguments, but they make them with zeal, with strength, and you can kind of be overwhelmed at first if you're not thinking. Don't fall for bad arguments. Verse 34, this is Acts 16, 34. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. <laughs> so all his household were baptized. See, pedo-baptism, having believed in God with all his household. Mm. It would appear that all his household came to Christ with understanding and then were baptized. That's what the scripture says. In Acts 18, verse 8, it says, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And so again, the whole household believed, and the whole household was baptized. The idea of some of our covenantal friends today, some of our covenant theologian friends today is, is that whole household, whole household um, means that when the, when the father and mother get saved, they just baptize all the kids regardless of belief uh, or unbelief. And again, you f- do not find that in Scripture. They have to build arguments from silence or tweak the Scripture to build such arguments. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 13, it says, And a woman was a husband who does not believe. If he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So uh, this is often pulled in to build the all-his-household argument in conjunction with these texts in the book of Acts. But uh, the Greek words translated in this text, text, sanctified and holy, come from the same common Greek root word hagios. Thus the unbelieving husband, wife, and children being made hagios by the believing spouse or parent cannot mean that they are to be baptized and declared under the covenant of grace. And so this is, again, you'd, you'd have to extrapolate, you'd have to uh, do some, some fancy math here. Two plus two looks... Uh, Looks a lot like it equals five here. Look, it equals five. Um, no, it, it really, it doesn't. It doesn't. This is speaking of the sanctifying effect, the preserving effect of a righteous spouse and righteous parents on their children. It's not saying they are actually born again from above through that relationship or regenerated or forgiven of, of sin, but there will be a blessing there. There will be a curb to sin, and that is noted and rejoiced in. But you end up with another gospel if you go the direction that some of our paedo-baptist friends want to go with that. And that's the problem. That's the problem. There are those like Rome, Roman Catholics, Roman Catholic Church, they have a heretical doctrine of baptism. And then there are those uh, that are in the Reformed Covenant world, uh, Covenant theologians, that have an errant doctrine of baptism that tends toward, that leans toward, and often folks graduate from that error into the heresy. And that's very problematic. And so I, I call it dangerous doctrine. I do. And, and I love R.C. Sproul. I love him. I've, I've got virtually every book he's written, and you know, I've listened to so much of what he's taught, and I love him. But that doctrine was a dangerous doctrine that he no longer believes. And so I'm very glad about that, and I'm sure that's going to offend some <laughs> Presbyterian friends. That's okay. In Acts 19, verses 4 through 5, we have rebaptism, but rebaptism isn't rebaptism if it wasn't believer's baptism in the first place. Do you get that? Rebaptism isn't rebaptism if it wasn't believer's baptism in the first place. 
Acts 19, verse 4, Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had been baptized with John's baptism, which was ultimately an Old Testament baptism of repentance. It was not believers' baptism. Thus, when they came to Jesus, they what? Obeyed Jesus and got baptized. So as you consider... Today, in some Reformed circles, some covenantal circles, they will actually receive a man or woman from the Roman Catholic Church and not call them to be rebaptized, not call them to repent, confess Christ as Lord, and be baptized, because they would consider it a rebaptism that is not essential. They count their baptism, which was what? An unholy priest with unholy water sprinkled on an unholy baby. They count that as a legitimate baptism, even though obviously there was no faith involved. Obviously, there was no creed, credo, baptism going on. But their error leads them to receiving folks from the Roman Catholic Church into their church as true believers who have been truly baptized, where I would say, no, no, no. One, not only do you need to be rebaptized, you need to repent of that heretical baptism because it was a false gospel. And so I welcome every Roman Catholic. This is going to go out on the air. Every Roman Catholic in Portland, in fact, all of them in the entire world are welcome to come here. It's going to get crowded, folks. But they must repent. They must repent of the false gospel contained in Rome's baptism. And then they must be baptized as believers upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And that would just be absolutely glorious, wouldn't it? would be absolutely glorious. And so we welcome them all, but we can't welcome them casually as believers. No, we got to call them to repent of the heresy and to submit to Christ and embrace true baptism. I would call them likewise to repent of the heresy of the mass. You know, this isn't just a little nuance on communion uh, between Rome's mass and the ordinance of the bread and the cup that we celebrate in remembrance of Christ's shed blood. No, one is antichrist, one is a blasphemy of Christ, and one is a remembrance of Christ's true gospel and true finished work. And so you must repent of that and believe the truth and celebrate that with us. And indeed, if Christ is now your Lord and you've now believed the gospel, yeah, it's not just a shift of church membership. It's not just that you, you now... Uh, do it a little different. No, you hate that thing. You realize that mass was, was an abomination. It was a blasphemy of Jesus Christ. And you want no part of it. You, you would spew it from your mouth if you could. You would vomit it forth if you could. You, you resent every time the priest placed that unholy antichrist wafer on your tongue because you realize what a blasphemy of Jesus and His finished work it is. And so, baptism is a glorious truth contained in Scripture. And the Scriptures are clear, and we could go on, and we may yet next time. There's much more to say, and there's some important ground yet to cover to strengthen us to understand God's true gospel and the relationship of it with baptism and that Christ's finished work is what redeems us, or what saves us, And any mixture of our works or the work of some so-called priest or anyone else in with Christ's work is a negation of Christ's work. You have not believed upon Christ if you mix Christ and His finished work with anything at all. 
And so this is vital truth for our own souls to protect us that we never look over there and get a whiff of incense from Rome and see the pomp and ceremony of all this and think, wow, we're really missing out. That looks so much more religious. And you know what it is? It is so much more religious. Dead. Religious. Works. And you want no part of that. You want the full and glorious living Christ who died once, was buried, and was resurrected on the third day, conquering sin and death on behalf of all those who confess Him as Lord and believe in their heart that God has raised Him from the dead. And all of God's saints said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you.